0: Welcome, everyone, to FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Aaron, and with me is my co-host, Coles. What's up? Man, been a long week, been a, been a tiring week, but we have a full slate, and I am excited to get a chance to talk about some of these movies with you. This is an interesting week for us, Coles, because we actually are only, I think we have five things to talk about, and only two of them are crossing over. So you and I did not see everything together this time around. So that should be uh, make for an interesting time. Um, so you're going to get some different, different types of genres and thoughts tonight. Our format here on FF Plus, if you're not familiar, it's pretty straightforward. We're going to start by talking about what we liked about each movie, or in this case, TV show, uh, because we are fans of positivity. Then we will transition and we'll be sure to mention anything that we didn't like before eventually giving you a recommendation about whether we think This is worth your time and money. It's that simple. Short and spoiler free. We're going to kick things off with a Netflix movie called The Guilty. It's featured... Colette's already shaking his head, guys. So uh, there you go. I haven't even said anything about it. Just the title. And it's like got him all up in arms. This features Jake Gyllenhaal. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal. Ethan Hawke. Riley Q. Christina Vidal. Eli Gorey. Divine Joy Randolph. Paul Dano, and Peter Sarsgaard is directed by Antoine Fuqua with a screenplay by Nick Pizzolatto, and it is a remake of the 2018 Danish film of the same name that was written and directed by Gustav Muller. What's it about? A troubled police detective demoted to 911 operator duty scrambles to save a distressed caller during a harrowing day of revelations and reckonings. Now, as we get started, Coles, I want to tell everybody up front. So I have seen the original film. So I'm coming into this with the context of a comparison to the original foreign language Danish picture. What about you?
1: I have no connection with the remake. I've heard a lot of praise about it. So that was one of the things that led me to have some excitement for watching this film.
0: Okay, cool. So Coles, his thoughts are not having seen the original, mine are having seen the original. With that being said, since you were shaking your
1: head when we got started, before you even got into this, was there anything at all that you liked about this movie? Easy, Jake Gyllenhaal. The one common denominator in any film, usually because Jake Gyllenhaal is one of my favorite actors, that whether the film is good or bad, I just enjoy watching the man do his thing. Uh, he plays a character that is clearly going through certain stress certain kind of anguish a lot of anxiety like the whole time of the film i was worried about him before you even know anything about his background or what he has done that's caused him this pain i was worried about him i thought for certain he was probably going to collapse because he was working all night all day on this one kidnapping case that happens to pop up on the phone line It, it was very stressful and very intense in some moments That's mostly to do to Jake being able to buy in to the story, being able to portray this character that you do feel a little empathy for in the beginning, and then over time throughout the film, you kinda get to learn that he has a dark and murky kind of past and he is clearly being he's clearly dealing with a lot of cards in his life at the moment. So Jake Gyllenhaal, he is my one positive from this film. Woo! I mean, I guess it's one
0: good positive since it's really a solo film for the most part. I mean, he's pretty much only acting against vocal uh, characters like they're on the phone with him. He's not face to face. So he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting by himself. I got to agree. I mean, he is phenomenal in the movie. He's doing all the heavy lifting here. And so, I mean, I really enjoy his performance. I'm a big fan of him as well. And I think that the movie as a whole does a good job of capturing the intensity of what a job of a 911 operator would be like. I mean, I can't really imagine how intensely stressful that would be to get some of the calls he gets. And then, and especially like to get them one after another, after another, after another. And in a way... I think it shows how it could be easy to become desensitized, right? Something that you and I would be like, "Oh my God, this person's freaking out because you know somebody's they're afraid somebody's got a gun," and this guy's acting like, "Yeah, I've gotten ten of these calls today. Why don't you just take a chill pill and calm down?" And I was like, "Whoa, you know, like I couldn't react that way." So I thought that that was cool to see the dynamic of what an I-M-1-1 operator might go through. I also liked having a recognizable voice cast. There's some small parts, but they're actors that I knew by voice right away, like Ethan Hawke is on the phone, Peter Skarsgård, um, Paul Dano, and then Riley Keough, as I mentioned. And, and I kind of enjoyed having those be people that I, I said, oh, is that Ethan Hawke? And it was. And I think that, this is a good exploration of a person that has had issues in his life. And you will. You talked about this. You said, you know, he's got a lot going on. And his issues are due to not following the rules in a certain situation. And he is confronted now with a challenge of does he follow the rules or not? And what, are, what is going to be the cost if he does not do that? And so I, I, liked, I liked the setup of this story. I liked the setup when it was in the original as well. Just the idea of it of I love single location type movies and you're getting that view of just like one person going through something. And so the, the concept here is really interesting and the film does take some kind of twists and turns. That you may not be able to predict. And it may be surprising and entertaining. For some viewers. Um, and I, what I didn't like. I'll start and I'll let you just. you know Fill in the gaps. I think that. Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is very good. But he's hard to like. He's hard to connect with. Because he's kind of a dick. To be honest. In this movie. Even though he's like maybe trying to save a life. he He's an. He's just not a nice person to his coworkers or anyone really at all, other than that one person, and it makes it harder to connect with. Like you're rooting for him to succeed, but you don't like him while you're doing it. It's a weird feeling. I also think that, and I'm not surprised because it's Antoine Fuqua, and I had this fear going into it. The original film is way more subtle in the way things kind of are slowly revealed, and specifically with the main character's back-end issues that they're dealing with, this movie's American. It is Antoine Fuqua American. It is overly dramatic, and it is in-your-face, and it is loud. And that doesn't feel right in this 911 operator setting to me. There are so many shots of like, we, we pan out and we see Jake like by himself, almost like he's Batman standing in front of the big screen in the Bat Cave at the end of the dark night with the cell phone tech going. And it's like this gigantic wall of TVs and then just Jake in this room, like by himself, like he's some singular presence that is saving the world. That's not what a 911 operator office looks like, like... You've got like multiple people. Like there are tons of operators, right? But it makes it look like it's like Jake's big giant world and he's the only one. It's also kind of unrealistic the way things play out. Like he just, he's doing all kinds of crazy things and they're calling him on it, his superiors at times, but no one ever actually does anything about it. And it just doesn't feel like it's, it made a lot of sense to me. And I thought that Emily, who is played by Riley Keough. I mean, she does, I guess, whatever she can here, but I just didn't like the way that her character was presented in this film very well. Um, I, I feel like she was way more affecting in the original. I remember being ripped to pieces and shredded by the voice performance that I was hearing. And in this one, I didn't feel that much for her. And it just, it was a real struggle for me to connect to her too until the very end of the film. And I, I mean, I thought it was fine. I liked it. It was okay. Like, luckily, it's a short movie. Like, it's an hour and a half. So it doesn't take up a lot of your time. But I, I was a little bit let down.
1: Voice acting was a big meh the whole time. I understand that these people are there. A couple of my favorite actors. And of course, Riley. Uh, I mean, I like her. Well, Riley's the character name, not the actress name, correct? Yeah. Riley's the actress. Okay. Well, the actress who plays her. I like her in a film that I've seen before of hers. So I understand that these are well-known people, but at the same time, the way that they deliver their lines just doesn't feel offensive to me. It takes me out of the big dramatic moments they want me to feel, like when there's new revelations, then the voice actor comes on and it feels like it's just a totally just normal line of dialogue. I mean, there's no urgency. Many times when people are talking to each other over the phone, you're kind of wondering, okay, this girl's getting kidnapped, and she's able to talk on the phone, and the guy who's kidnapped her is not realizing that she's talking to a EMS person on the phone. It's like, how, how, how dumb can you be? How are you falling for this? And throughout, there are so many moments where this case could have been solved quickly. It could have been open-shut within 10 minutes, but vital pieces of information are just left out conveniently. They're just le- left out just so we can get more mileage out of this bucket of a ride when it comes to thrills. Antonio Fuqua, he's made some of my favorite films. I love Training Day. I even love his Equalizer films. But the direction of his is usually dynamic. That is usually fluid. It's not in this film. Like, I'm not already a big fan of films that take place in one setting. Like, you got to do a lot of things. To make me care about that one setting. And about watching one actor really just carry a whole film. You got to do a lot. And this film doesn't do a lot. And mostly it's due to Foucault. He has these times where he has Jill Hall just sitting there. And he's not saying anything. And you're kind of wondering and waiting. Okay, is something going to happen right now? And then other times the pacing. It just gets kind of boring after a little bit. And like you said with the character. How in the remake it's kind of subtle. to. A finding out what the character does and what their background is and what's bothering them. In this film, it's kind of just given to you straight up an exposition dialogue. It's like, hey, this is what I did. This is what happened. And oh, like, yeah, my um, ex-wife is calling me. It's clear that I'm getting a divorce and that my daughter doesn't get to see me a lot. Like, it's, it's all on the nose. I mean, nothing that you haven't seen before. Outside of Jake, there's really nothing to really come back for this film for. I I saw it and I was so close to snoozing, even though it was a 91 minute film, it really just kind of bogged me down. And I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't give the remake a watch before I watched this, because maybe I could have had a better handle on this. Like you are, for me, this film is just very forgettable, and it's equipped. It's pretty much a straight to Netflix film, <laughs> something that you well, would I find. Mean... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, back mean, in the day, it's... this would have been a straight to DVD bargain bin that you find <laughs> in Walmart.
0: I mean, that's what a lot of these Netflix movies are now. They're just they're they're those movies, but with better actors. Like, I mean, that's the that's the type of film that a lot of these turn out to be. You're so right, and I and I fear that the original is going to be a bit stunted for you now because you already know the twists. I mean, it's the same story, so you know what's going to happen. So it you might enjoy it better from a cinematic, like going through the structure process, but you aren't going to be as surprised by it or whatever. You know what I mean? And that's that's a bummer. So this is in select theaters starting on September the 24th. It is going to hit the theaters for a bit and it will be streaming on Netflix on October the 1st. Are you feeling it? What do you recommend between those two options
1: for people? Well, for one thing, I'm not feeling it. And two, I wouldn't recommend both of these options in a perfect world. I wouldn't recommend none of these, but... Hey, you know how it is with Netflix. If you happen to get bored one day and you can't find anything to watch, I mean, what's the harm in putting this on? It has Jake Gyllenhaal in it, so that might redeem it for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like, essentially, there's no way I'd pay to go see this in a theater. I don't think there's any value in that, honestly. And I think it's fine on Netflix. It is middle of the pack in my three-star ratings for the year. It's not my worst. It's not my best. It's, It's just completely... Like, I didn't hate it. I got, I paid attention to it. it. Honestly, it was one of those movies that I guess probably because I knew what was going to happen, but I was able to throw it on and I could just like do the laundry and stuff while I had it on. And it was no big deal for me. So, but I, I mean, maybe somebody else wouldn't be able to do that. if They don't know what's happening. It's fun. If you're a big Jake Gyllenhaal fan, watch it because you like seeing him for 90 minutes. Otherwise, if you're watching it because you want a really good thriller, probably not going to do that much for you. Okay, moving on. Next up, we're going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about Dear Evan Hansen. Starring Ben Platt, Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, Caitlin Deaver, Amandala Stenberg, Nick Dadani, Danny Pino, Colton Ryan, and Demarius Copes. It is directed by Stephen Chbosky. is screenplay by Stephen Levinson and based on the 2015 stage musical, Tony Award-winning stage musical, of the same name by Levinson, Pasek, and Paul. What's it about? Evan Hansen is an anxious, isolated high school student who's aching for understanding and belonging amid the chaos and cruelty of the social media age. He soon embarks on a journey of self-discovery when a letter he wrote for a writing exercise falls into the hands of a grieving couple whose son took his own life. All right, man, I am going to keep my thoughts fairly succinct here primarily because this is the main episode of the show coming out this next week with myself and Patrick. So background, Patrick and I are humongous fans. This is one of our favorite musicals of all time. Patrick came up to Seattle to visit me in 2019. On his birthday, that same week, we were able to go see this live Broadway production in Seattle together. So this holds a very special place in our hearts. As such, I'm just giving you that disclaimer up front there's no way I was going to come out of this hating this movie musical, right? Like this is already kind of, Patrick joked on the last episode of Feelin' Film, he said, this is a movie that is starting at five stars for us. And it can only go up. You know what I mean? Like it's, but without even seeing it. So that was my perspective going in. What did I end up actually liking about this? Pretty much everything. So it's the same songs, a couple of extra songs. I really enjoyed the extra songs. There's one that is sung by Amanda Stenberg, who has a beautiful voice, by the way, and I I thought her additional song was really important to the plot and and had a, a lot of value in the words, the lyrics that were being spoken at the time. There's another additional song towards the end of this film that is sung by the character of Connor, which is the character that took his life at the beginning of the movie. And it gives a lot of extra context to who he is as a person and is a part of a little bit of a reworked ending to the story that I believe is a big plus. It gives you more information on this character that commits suicide that is kind of the crux of the action of the entire story, but you really never get to know him through his own words and his own eyes. And this allows us to do that. And then... Simultaneously, we end up seeing the character of Evan, who many have criticized, is a character that goes through this whole charade and this whole lie and ultimately doesn't ever have any kind of like punishment for his crimes, essentially, for his lies of what he has done through the, throughout the movie. But he has a moment of redemption that I think is, is really powerful as well. Uh, where he actually ends up having to take responsibility for his actions in a way um, that did not happen in the musical. So I like the story changes to this. I like the new songs. I think that the film as a whole, the story translates as well as it could to cinematic version, okay? So for me, it's like a five-star movie, but that's my subjective nature, if I was grading it against maybe, you know, it's not my favorite movie musical because it's not a movie, it is it is, an, a property that really belongs on the stage. And I can't state enough, having seen both, that it just works better when you're in a big theater and you're watching it on that stage. It's harder to translate into a movie. I liked it, though, because I liked the additional character beats and the little bits of dialogue that we got, and it worked for me. Um, I I can understand where it's not going to do that for everybody. I have a hard time understanding why the movie is being despised, though. It's getting absolutely torn apart by people for a couple of different reasons, one of which is Ben Platt's casting. He's now 27, going on 28, playing a 17-year-old that he made famous. Yes, he looks old. He has a puffy face at times. The movie's full of close ups that don't do him a lot of favors. He looks old. Caitlyn Deaver's like 24, 25, playing a 17 year old as well. So I get it. She doesn't look as old. That's part of the issue. The reality here is that when it comes to his casting, he understands this character in a profound way because he created it and it means more to him than it could ever mean to anybody else so I both think that it could have worked just fine with someone else to be honest I mean when I saw the stage production it wasn't Ben Platt it was another actor because it was a touring thing after the Broadway run and it was fine it's great but I also understand the passion involved and I can tell you that when Ben Platt is acting as Evan and he is presenting himself with the social anxiety and the the nervousness and the depression, the tics that he has, um, just the way his hand gestures work. Like, he understands this character. And I think he brings it to life in a way, and and he can emote, and he can emote when singing in a way that no one else really can. That's what makes him special. For example, he cries while he sings. I don't know anyone else that actually, like, I mean, literally, not... Cries, stops, sings, then cries. Like he's literally crying while singing and it's very interesting and very moving. And so I'm fine with the casting. I didn't have any issues there. And then most people take uh, that are taking issue with this are also really struggling with the story because again, it's about a guy who falls into this lie of saying this kid was my best friend who just committed suicide in order to make a grieving family feel like their son. Wasn't alone, and and it goes. It, it, it's a, it's the classic story, Celeste, where you know a little white lie. It, they just it begets another lie and another lie, and you start covering it up, and eventually it gets to the point where you kind of like what you've become because you're starting to to turn into a different person, and there's a lot of benefits to that, and then ultimately you have to to have a reckoning where the truth comes out and. I like that the character does not win. He is not a hero in the story. He is another person that is suffering. And I think that that's an important thing that is being missed is this is a character with mental illness and we're judging him as if he's just some normal person doing all of these things with a very bad motive. No, everything that Evan Hansen does in this story is based out of compassion. He lies because he doesn't want to hurt the family. He doesn't want them to feel bad. And it gets out of hand. Um, But I love the way they wrap it up. So for me, it's great. It's fantastic. I have very few quibbles with it. I think the editing could be a little better. I think the pacing is tough in film format. I love that all of the material is there. But in a stage production, you know, you have one act and then you have a cut intermission and then you have a second act and it it just it feels at times a little not tight in this version so I have little nitpicks to it but I mean I was balling on my couch uh, you know and just completely reacting this is a very powerful story to me it's my it's my favorite because of the material I think it's important it's all about telling kids of this generation and and relating to them, so things in this story are directly—it's life today, in two thousands, right in the two thousand tens and two thousand twenty-one. Like that's what it's it's showing you. So when you look at it, and if adults are like, "Oh, that's really gross. Why would people on YouTube?" There's a scene in the film where the kid who committed suicide, and it shows kids at his locker with a memorial on the locker, and they're like taking selfies next to his little mo- locker memorial. Dude, that's, yes, it's gross. And that is exactly how kids would act today in high school, absolutely. They'd be like, let me get this on my Instagram. I'm really sad, yeah. So I I think it captures that really well. And the movie's all about like not feeling alone and speaking up when you're hurting and noticing it, noticing people. and And it's all, I mean, I think it's a, you know, we see this in the world right now with uh, Naomi Osaka and other athletes who are finally speaking up and saying, like, my, my mental health matters. Like, I've got all this pressure on me and I can't be put together all the time. And that's a very similar thing to the message of this movie is like everybody's not put together and that's OK. And the rest of us, if you are feeling put together, like open your eyes and, you know, be compassionate and think about the people and how they may be feeling, and how alone others around you might be. So I love it. Uh, It will be available in theaters on September the the 24th. I absolutely think it's worth a theater viewing, and I I hope that everyone will go see it, and I hope that people will love it and completely offset all of this ridiculous critical reception, and Patrick and I will go mega deep into our thoughts on just everything about it on our main episode that'll drop here in a few days, so keep your eyes out for that one. Next on the list is the other movie that Kales and I both got a chance to see together. And that is, well, we didn't see it together together, but we both saw it. Uh, The movie is The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It stars Jessica Chastain, Andrew Garfield, Cherry Jones, and Vincent D'Onofrio, among others. It is directed by Michael Showalter, It is written by Abe Sylvia, and it is based on a 2000 documentary of the same name by Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbato. What is it about? In the 1970s, Tammy Faye Baker and her husband Jim rise from humble beginnings to create the world's largest religious broadcasting network and theme park. Tammy Faye becomes legendary for her indelible eyelashes, her idiosyncratic singing, and her eagerness to embrace people from all walks of life. However, Financial improprieties, scheming rivals, and a scandal soon threatened to topple their carefully constructed empire. Kalis, I'm going to throw it to you first, and and get your likes. I, I want to the backstory here for us both is, you know, I grew up in the South, and not in the '70s, but in the '80s and the '90s, and it was towards the tail end of the Bakers, and the televangelism boom had already started. So, but I was very aware in my evangelical upbringing about Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker and what they were doing and so I had an interesting perspective about this and I I from what I understood you did not know who they were is that correct
1: Oh no I know who they were I just wasn't Oh okay I just wasn't deeply familiar with their story
0: Okay cool so that that's good to know um so with that said like how did this one land for you
1: Like you I came from the south as well so this was right up my alley. I mean, there would be times that I would have discussions with my auntie when I was a kid, and my auntie would be letting, would be telling me and letting me know um, about how she felt about this kind of use of religion. You know, people who are asking for people to send in donations, and where do the donations go? Uh, it's not like God, you know, can come down and take his hand and get the money from Earth and bring it up to heaven. And I used to always wonder, I'm like, what? What are they exactly paying for with this money? Like, I understand that it's tithes and offerings and blessings and that whatever you give, you're going to get back. But I I just never understood the idea of giving another person money all for the sake of believing in a true God, you know, no matter what your religion is. So this kind of hypocrisy and this kind of swindling and fraud is something that I was very used to. Down in the south, and I had and some of my grandparents and my parents experienced it for themselves. And I would always get a chance to see the Seven Hundred Club or get a look at the religion channels on the weekends and see people sitting in the chair or speaking on a big stage and telling other people to give out their money, give their blessings over to the preacher or to or for the good of the church. This film was a big wake up call for me because I had kind of forgotten about this televangelism boom that is still going on right now i mean we see so-called religion preachers that are flying private jets that are having these big mega million church um churches that are worth millions of dollars but they're not paying any taxes on it and it was more apparent during the pandemic about how these people were you saw people going to Telling their followers that, hey, if you spend your stimulus check on rent, then you're not doing the Lord's will. Or if you don't send me some of your stimulus money, then, you know, you're not you're not sowing good seed. And I saw this behavior during last year and I'm still seeing it now. And this film really touches on how people can use religion not for the sake of good for healing people, for seeing people as human, just like them, but using it for political gain, using it to make more money, using it to have power and influence, using it to control somebody, manipulate somebody. We see the character of Tammy Faye, and I made a mistake in not starting with Jessica Chastain, because her performance is marvelous. Like, honestly, this is one of the first, this is probably the first great performance I've seen in this early decade so far. I mean, part of it is helped because... Of the excellent job that the makeup and the costume design does in really fleshing out these characters and showing who they are and being able to get into their psyche and fitting in with dialogue and the narrative beats. But Jessica Chastain is just, she's perfect every minute. I mean, she by, we get to see her as this character who almost would have been made like to be like a meme if means were available in the 70s and 80s or 90s. But we see her as this woman who really believes in bringing happiness, who really believes in healing other people, who believes in seeing other people for who they are. There is an excellent scene in this film where we see her talking to a guy who was a homosexual. And back during the 70s and 80s, you hear the rhetoric that you know homosexuality was, was something that was a mental illness. It was something that the church would look down upon. But you see this woman who is actually caring about somebody who shares different beliefs from who she is. And that's who the heart of Tammy Faye is. She's a person who is maybe a little bit naive, maybe somebody who, who was in religion for good intentions, but got swallowed up because of who she was married to, which is Jim Baker. And following with Cheston's praise for her, I also got to give praise to Andrew Garfield. He completely disappears into this character. You know, he even gains the weight. He almost has an eerily, he just looks straight alike to Jim Baker and this is a guy who in the beginning of this film we see that he has an idyllic view of what he wants to be in this world he wants to be a guy that travels around and teaches people about the good word of the bible and making people feel that they don't need to have a lot of money in order to feel rich they they can feel rich with the spirit of god but over the film we see his character just become more and more dark and more about using christianity as a way to get president's elected or to or to have a certain agenda that his programs carry or to keep people such as like liberals and minorities and people who are in the homosexuality keeping them out of the mainstream and only promoting a message of male-dominated christianity and it's apparent towards the end that you see these characters and it's kind of sad with how they end up and i'm not aware of the documentary i didn't know that this is based on a documentary But this film does a good job, almost better than what a documentary could in telling the story. And it's mostly due due to the great acting performances, to the technical elements. And this film is a film that grabs you as well. I find myself, like usually most of the time I'm watching a film, I'm kind of pressing down my Apple remote to see how much time is left in a film. But for this one, I didn't do that at all. I was sucked in and I could not move. I couldn't move off the bed. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't even eat. Like this film just had me Seriously invested into what it was happening. It's very, it's a very, very, very compelling film, and honestly, it's my number one film of the year so far. Woo!
0: Look at that. That is <laughs> never in a million years would I have predicted that. But that is why we do this, right? That is one of the the joys of of being a film lover is mm-hmm. being surprised. But I'm Going like, oh. Like, I didn't think I was going to even like this, but I tried it out or whatever, and oh, my goodness, you know, and, and it blew me away. So I echo everything you just said. Um, I think, you know, a good comparison, if people are kind of curious what they're going to get into, is Itania from a cinematic perspective. Like, that is the sort of movie you're going to get. This is bubblegum. It's kind of poppy and it's colorful and it's kind of bouncy and it's it's fun for the most part it doesn't drop too many times into like heavy drama it kind of is playful about that while also like it's almost satirizing it without satirizing it like it's it's making it very clear that things are happening that you should not be rooting for but the film isn't stopping to point a big arrow you know acme acme uh, cartoon style and be like hey look at this this is really really bad like you just inherently can tell i enjoyed the crap out of this and that's what i mean by like agreeing with what you were saying about uh how capturing of your attention it is it grabs you and it does not let go i was enthralled from frame one to frame two And, and i i agree like this is in my top like three or four of the year as well and i was really surprised when you were as well. So, but I'm glad because then after you and I felt that way, we found out a couple of fellow other critics were were responding very similar to us as well. So we we aren't alone in this. Jessica Chastain. I mean, yes, like you're right. Like there's no other best actress performance yet that has been on this level and I don't know that she's going to be beat this year um when it comes to awards type conversations. Uh, uh, usually you get a big boost for playing a real life character and quote transforming into them. You know, this is gonna get its makeup and costume and hairstyle and all of that Oscars without a doubt. Uh, but but she really does she she gets kind of disappears into this character and she gives it so much nuance. It's a character that it's a person that is being portrayed that is somewhat lovable. And somewhat, like, there's an empathy that you get for this character throughout the story because of how she's treated by her husband. But one place that I differ from some other critics, Coless, is I believe that she is not treated as a complete hero of this story. I've seen other people say it's too nice to Tammy Faye. It makes her just a victim. You know, she was just as responsible for swindling people as her husband she's not a good person just because she believes that lgbtq people should be christians too and, and her husband you know was very very hard evangelical of no homosexuality and she was opposite of that i believe that the film makes a very clear statement there is a final shot in this movie that i think is one of the best moments of the year and it is a redemption moment for Tammy Faye. She is she is kind of getting back on the saddle. She's been through the ringer. And she's singing a very... The lyrics of the song are important. And at the end of this song, we see her framed by these flashing light bulbs as if she's a celebrity again. And an American flag, poof, drops behind her. On the stage. On the stage at a Christian university and it really reminded me of just how much like their situation was a big part of the blending of Christianity and nationalism that led us to ultimately Donald Trump because they even talk about in the movie you know Jim Baker is one of the first people who was really involved in providing donations to get Ronald Reagan elected and then this transformed into then it was like bush and pat buchanan but just that 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 image of that american flag behind her reminds you that yeah she's come out of this and and now you know she's no longer being abused mistreated by a husband but she's really not a good person either and i felt that and i don't understand why some people didn't but i felt it very strongly garfield's great I think he's better than he's being t- I think he's being overshadowed by her in the conversation just because she's so good and transformative but I I mean he's always phenomenal in my opinion and I think he's great here right beside her and yeah if if this doesn't sell you on I, <laughs> the only problem I have with this and it's not a problem but it, the only the only thing I struggle here personally speaking is just that Yes, there are people out there that are absolute trash that that are this is called prosperity gospel theology of, you know, the God rewards those who give and, you know, you will be given money, you will be given riches if you just do what God says, etc., i.e., what i say, and it's it's terrible theology. It's it's anti-Christian in every way. And these people exist. Joel Osteen is out there today spitting this crap you know, and like you said, with his yachts and his airliners, et cetera, it hurts me because this is not real Christianity. This is like the worst of Christianity. And this is what we're putting in a movie. <laughs> and so now when people go see it, like people already are turned off by Christianity because of the way that the the few, and maybe, you know, I say the few, but the way that an extreme group has co-opted Christianity for these non-Christian, non-Jesus-like principles. And it's just going to reinforce that for those people. They're going to be like, see, I told you Christianity sucks. And that, I I hate that, you know, as someone who follows this faith. That's not a knock on the movie. It's just a total tangent on a personal level. Uh, Yeah, as a movie, it's phenomenal. I love it. I literally, Gilles, in my notes, I write likes and dislikes as I go for this podcast. And I, I have nothing nothing under my dislike. So,
1: well, if there's one minor nitpick I got to give this film, it's just the way Do that it. certain, the certain use of montages in this film where they kind of just cycle through the years and in just one bit kind of like fast forward where we don't really get any like depth into any of the events that are going on in the baker's lifestyle. That's, that's a big complaint I've been seeing in a lot of reviews of this film. So I can, I can understand that and I can acknowledge it. But this film is just, it, I mean, it blinds to the rest of the good elements in this film. I mean, it's almost not even a blight. It's just something that you accept because the film is close to compelling and perfect.
0: Well said. uh, Very, very well said, man. And that yeah, totally fair. I mean, I, I love me a montage. I, it's hard for me not to love montage, so I get it. But um, this movie is in theaters now. You can go see it right now. I'm feeling it. I highly recommend you go see this in a theater. Support the movies you love. Support this kind of adult dramas and comedy dramas in the theater you know it's worth it for me cuz it's it's just really well shot i think it looks great it's not crisp it's kind of got that grainyish like 70 it looks like it's in the 70s very very much so i think the production value is very good and so i, I just think it's a good movie to go see in a theater like they don't have to all be blockbusters so i'm i'm going to say recommend it you
1: I'm doing the same thing, recommending this film to be seen in theaters, to be seen however you can get it. If the only way you can get it is through watching it on demand. Watch it there. If you got to wait until it comes out on Blu-ray or DVD, get it then and watch it then. I mean, this is an incredible film, and I really hope that it gets in a lot more eyes, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be on the top of a lot of people's award contenders this season. Here, here, Agree. Well, next
0: up, is the movie that you got to see by yourself. And that is because it is based on a TV series that I haven't watched a single episode of yet. It's on my list. It will happen. It's on my, I have a list, Coles, of must watch before I die. It sounds morbid, but that's what it literally, (laughs) it's literally titled that. And this is, it's on there. Um, The movie is The Many Saints of Newark. It stars Alessandro Nivola, Leslie Odom Jr. I didn't know that. Whoa, I love me some Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, John Bernthal, Corey Stoll. I love Corey Stoll, too. Uh, Michael Gandolfini, Billy Magnuson, Michelle De Rossi, John Magaro, Ray Liotta, and Vera Farmiga. It is directed by Alan Taylor. It is written by David Chase and Lawrence Conner. And it is a prequel to Chase's HBO crime drama series, The Sopranos. What's it about? Set in the 1960s and 1970s in Newark, New Jersey, using the 1967 riots in the city as a backdrop for tensions between the Italian-American and African-American communities, the film follows the teenage years of Tony Soprano in the midst of a violent gang war his uncle and family are involved in. All right, man, the floor is yours. Blend it. Tell us however you want. What would you think?
1: If anybody has followed me on Facebook and Twitter in the past year, they will see Many many mentions of The Sopranos and how much of a amazing show it is. I think it's probably the greatest TV show ever made, and it got me through a lot of tough days during the pandemic last year. Right now, I'm on actually on my third rewatch. I was actually watching it prepare in preparation of this film because I remember watching the trailer, which I usually don't watch trailers, but I had to watch it for this film. And I immediately found myself excited to see that we were going to get a background into the Characters I know and love, and get an idea to their early days, younger days, and actually following new characters. So, for me, the biggest positive is being back in this world again of the Sopranos, but seeing a young Tony Soprano, seeing a young Livia, Uncle Jr. I mean, this is only going to be familiar to people who watch the show. So, if you haven't watched the show, then I don't know what you're doing. Go watch it, including you, Eric, because I know it's on your list before the die, but you should make that tomorrow you should make it tomorrow obligation to watch the show
0: oh, my mic was off um i will make it my next big starter show so if i once i get through a couple of these new new seasons of these apple tv plus shows
1: i will start it, it okay. 2022
0: it'll be my 2022 show there we go
1: there you go sounds good michael Gallo gallaudifini He's taking over the role that his father made famous, and it was kind of goosebumps inducing at times, watching, just seeing a younger James Gaddafini in the form of his son, you know, the voice, the mannerisms, the posture, and just the way he was able to accentuate his lines of dialogue. It felt like I was watching a ghost, and it was beautiful to see, and I could understand the pressure that was on this kid to perform this role. He does a commendable job for the time he's in it vera is amazing i know that she is mostly known for being in the conjuring films which i have not yet seen but in this film for the little bit of screen time that she has she does a marvelous job she feels exactly like livia from the show a younger version of livia and then we have dicky moltesanti who is the lead character that we are following this is once again i like to stipulate this this is not a film about tony soprano I know he's on the poster. I know Tony Soprano is the most famous character from the show, but this is not about him. This is about Dickie Moltisanti, who is the father of Christopher Moltisanti, another famous character from the show. And he is the guy that we're looking at this world through our eyes. 1960s, early 70s Newark. I mean, we're dealing with the Newark riots of 1967. We're dealing with the mob. We're dealing with organized crime. We're dealing with a lot of different beats that often get mentioned in the show in the form of flashbacks or in a form of reminiscence from other characters. And it was nice to see a young Paulie Walnuts, a young Silvio. And speaking of it, the guy who plays Silvio, let me look him up real quick. His name is John um, Margaro. I think that's how you say it, John Margaro. Yes, his Silvio Dante is impressive. And if he was on the screen for more than 15 minutes, he probably would have been one of my Dark Horse for a Best Supporting Actor nomination. I mean, the 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 brilliance of the casting... And the performances is what sets this film apart from most crime drama films. And we even get Ray Liotta, you know, Henry Hill from Goodfellas. He has a minor role in this. So it's like who's who's of famous actors who have made their name in playing some of the best gangster or crime films in cinema. Now, I want to get into what I would say is my biggest issue with this film, because my likes are mostly focused on the acting and the performances and the casting. This would be better off as a miniseries or a limited series. The thing about The Sopranos, the reason why it's so revered, is because The Sopranos has so much time to be able to build up its characters, to build up its story, to have moments pay off seasons down the line. It had 86 hours to do all this. And 120 minutes is a good length for a film. Yes, that's a pretty good amount of time for you to be able to tell a story. But if you're introducing these characters that we're used to watching and you're introducing new characters and you're setting in new work and you want to go deeper into the lore of soprano's world i feel that you need more time i feel that you need more depth i feel that you need more opportunity to cover a lot of areas in this film because there are so many unutilized areas areas in this film for one leslie odom's character harold he's built up to be a nemesis of Dicky throughout this entire film Yet, we never really get to understand anything about him. We just know that he's a guy who works for Dicky, and then eventually they have a falling out, and then he starts learning some teachings from the Black Panthers, and then he comes back ready to face off against Dicky. There's nothing else that you really get to understand about him. You don't get to understand his temperament. You don't get to understand why he's in this life. You don't even really get to see much of his family outside of a few conversations with his wife. Missed opportunity there. John Berthold as Johnny Boy, who was Tony Soprano's father, I thought he was going to be more in this film. I understand we're focused on Dicky. But Johnny Boy is a very, very notable character in The Sopranos. And there was a little bit of promise from David Chase and up the writers on this film that he was going to have an influence in here. He's hardly seen. He only has three scenes where he spits some dialogue and then otherwise he's almost like a ghost. He's not there. Dickie Moltisanti. I was excited to learn about this guy because Christopher Moltisanti, his journey in the show is clearly influenced by him not having a father. His father was was not there for him at a young age, but this guy is not a very compelling guy to follow. And that may come back to me wondering why they didn't turn this into a miniseries. We see Dickie. He gets introduced in the world quickly, but we don't understand the background of how he was made into who he was. We don't understand what his temperament is. We don't understand why he makes the choices he makes. I mean, there are a few moments where we get to inside his inner head and we get to see what his motivations are and how much he means to people. But other than that, the way that his arc ends in the film is very anticlimactic, and it feels almost another missed opportunity. This film, I kind of wish that this, if this film was made, that it should have been a mini or it should not have been done at all. I'm kind of thinking that it should not have been done at all. I, I liked having the allure, the tease, the want to know more about this world, but I feel that the Sopranos did a very good job of covering all of this. And a prequel sounds nice on paper, and if you're taking away the Sopranos lore, the factor of that, this is a solid crime drama. I mean, there are a few moments of just gratuitous violence, but other than that, everything else flows very well, like a typical drama that you would see from a Scorsese film or something you would see from Brian De Palma in the '80s. I mean, it, it moves. It's very gritty. It's very dark. It has its moments of dark humor that the this the show was known for. If you are invested in any of the characters, you'll see their little ticks and mannerisms and details about them that will add more value to a rewatch of the show. But other than that, this film feels like a missed opportunity, and it's still a good film. But I'm wondering what could have been. I'm wondering what like seven more hours added to this story could have would have looked like, and I think you would have had a smashing success. And it's getting a lot of good reviews, and I understand a lot of people are going to champion this film, but for me. I'm just better off rewatching the show over and over again. I don't really need to see this. It's a nice companion. If somebody wants a quick introduction to the world of Sopranos, hey, watch this. But it doesn't have the compelling storytelling. It doesn't have the draw. It doesn't have the replay value of what the show is. And I may be doing a disservice to compare it. David Chase says that you can watch this film on its own without watching The Sopranos. I disagree with that. All respect to the man. If you watch the show... There are a lot more nuggets, Easter eggs, and little details that you are going to be finding yourself smiling about in the audience. Other than that, it's just your typical run-of-the-mill crime drama.
0: Well, that sucks. I'm sorry. I know that you were very excited about it. I got to ask you, so I saw your girlfriend's Instagram story, and she said that the screening was fire. So did she like it better than you, or was just the
1: experience like a really good one for her? Well, my girlfriend, you know, it it doesn't take much for her to really like a film. If the film is good, hey, of course she's going to say it's fire. So, I mean, for her, she really liked the film. I mean, because I've gotten her into The Sopranos over the last year, and she has almost become my watching buddy when it comes to the TV show. So her excitement was a lot more palatable than mine was, even though mine was very hyped. She had a clearly good time with it, and I couldn't blame her for it. Uh, For me, knowing what I know about the show— all the the reddit threads i've visited all of the yeah. websites i've seen about the meaning of everything it just feels like there should have been much more to this and just hey so short. if they want another sequel or another film set in the world of sopranos i'm going to be there for it no matter what i'll net my excitement and my draw to it will never die out but there needs to be more <laughs> All right. That's
0: fair. So this will be in theaters and streaming on HBO Max on
1: October the 1st. What's your recommendation? I recommend that you watch this, but on HBO Max. I'm sorry. I cannot give this a theater credit. Speaking of my girlfriend, I asked her, so would you pay for this to watch this in the theater? She said no, but she had a good time. So if you don't feel like going out and braving, you know, amidst the pandemic, going to a theater and sitting and watching this. Just watch it on HBO Max. Trust me, your experience will not change. It will be the same. <laughs> it's amazing
0: now that we have this option. It's almost like you don't ever want it to go away because you're like, man, I can, you're not really saving money. I mean, it feels like it. We're paying for HBO Max, obviously, but it yes. feels like you're, 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 I don't know, we're a little less critical when you're watching it for free and you don't have to pay for it. You know what I mean? And that's what we're trying to do here is help people discern that so that they can Not waste their money, especially if they're on a limited budget. Like, you don't want to go to the theater and come away feeling disappointed. You want to save those experiences for ones that you're really certain are going to hit you hard. And so, you know, hopefully that'll help out people with getting your recommendation for that one. Last up is a pretty quick little segment. I'm going to talk about the new upcoming Foundation series. On Apple TV Plus. This stars Jared Harris, Lee Pace, Lou LaBelle, Leah Harvey, Laura Byrne, Cassian Bilton, Terrence Mann, and Alfred Enoch. It is produced by David S. Goyer and it is based on the book series by Isaac Asimov. What's it about? Foundation chronicles the thousand year saga of the Foundation, a band of exiles who discover that the only way to save. The Galact- Galactic Empire from Destruction is to defy it. Now, I grew up reading this book series. This was probably the second big book series that I was in love with after Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings hit me and was my fantasy thing. This was my sci fi thing growing up. So I read Dune, I liked Dune, but like Foundation was my thing. Foundation is hard science fiction. It is not fantasy science fiction. And what I mean by that is it is relatable, right? Like it's not really all of these weird creature aliens and lightsabers and and wacky tech type things. It's based off of like kind of a realistic projection of science and what might actually happen in the world as we go forth. And I like those stories. The idea behind Foundation is that there's this guy named Harry Seldon played by Jared Harris, who creates a new science called Psychohistory. And I'm not going to go into detail and try to explain that, but basically it's like predicting the future, okay? That's what it boils down to, is his ability to predict to a, to, to a large-scale moment. So while he could not predict, Coles, that tomorrow you're going to have a Coca-Cola With your lunch. He might predict that a major event is going to change your life and you're going to have, you know, it's going to lead to a career change in the year 2025. Like it's a very broad kind of predictive method. And the interesting thing about Foundation and part of what I loved about it, and a big reason why this book series has long been thought it is unfilmable so it's one of those where people don't think you could actually make it translate into a series or a movie very well it's because it's very very high level so we we span thousands of years at a time in the series uh the foundation there's multiple foundations and it's all about creating this galactic encyclopedia of information so Harry Seldon is predicting that the Galactic Empire is going to fall in this time. He can't tell them why it's going to fall. He can't say it's going to be via invasion or via plague. All he can say is what you're doing now is going to, it's on track to, it's going to fall at this point. So how do we preserve culture? That's the concept. What do we save? How do you make those decisions about what's important to remember and what do you let go? And so he creates this system called the Encyclopedia of doing that. Characters come in. The series itself takes a a twist on it. And I think it had to because it has to take this big picture and condense it into human characters and walk with them through specific events. You can't just do these high level things. So it changes up. The sex of one main character, one gender of main, one main character named um, Gall. I actually really like the change. Um, played by Lou LaBelle. She is phenomenal in this. I'm really enjoying her performance. Just, I'm eight out of ten episodes through it, so I haven't seen the final two episodes yet. Jared Harris is amazing in his role as Harry Seldon. Uh, you know, Harry is not in the movie or in the series a ton. He is referred to a ton because he ends up dying, but he's the father of this science and so he gets talked about. But if you cast Jared Harris, you got to find a way to like use Jared Harris. You can't kill him off in the first couple of episodes and just forget about him, right? So they do have an interesting way of kind of keeping him in the story that I enjoy. The other big, big change is... The Galactic Empire itself is really not defined in the book series. It's the empire. It's just, it's an entity, right? So in order to humanize that, they had to come up with a way of creating characters that symbolize what the empire is. And there's all of this gap. So in the book series, it's like the empire is predicted to fall. And then, you know, event, event, event empire dead you know like like that's and then you move on to the next part of history like it moves that fast so you've got to fill in like what actually happened to cause different things to occur so they came up with it they had to come up with this completely from scratch and they created an idea of an emperor that is three people and it's a really cool concept i think so lee pace plays the middle version of a character called Empire. And there's it has three names, uh, Brother Dawn, Brother Day, and Brother Dusk. And what it is is it's based on this idea that the Emperor is essentially cloned himself, and there are always three different aged versions of himself, and they're rotating on this basis. There's always three. And so, like, you would be Brother Dawn, and as you aged up, you'd become Brother Day, and then you'd become Brother Dusk, and then you'd die, and, you know, new new ones would fill the void. And it uses these characters to kind of walk through your story um, and what the Empire does in a really interesting way. Um, I don't mind that it's not from the books directly, and they're kind of having to make things up as they go. It feels a lot like Westworld to me. And there is a character in this that is from Westworld um, and not a character, but an actor that is also in Westworld. And it, it does give me that vibe to kind of how the story progresses. There is some action to it. They do find a way to get some firefights and some ship combat in there. Visually speaking, the series is awesome. It is not like a 10 of 10 for me so far. Um, I was hooked right away and I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed the pacing about the middle of the series. I found about a three or four run episodes where I was completely enthralled and hooked and I was locked in and I thought they were fantastic. And then episode seven or eight, I've been a little like, okay, still good, still okay, but not like loving, loving it. So I'm overall pleased with it, Colas. I think it looks good. It sounds good. I'm happy that they were able to put something on the screen. It will never compare to the books. It can't. And that's fine. This is something different and you have to go in accepting that. You have to look at it as an adaptation and say to yourself, I love the idea at the base of the foundation book series. What if it was a little different? And then you watch this and enjoy it as hard science fiction. So I highly recommend it. Um, it will be streaming on Apple TV Plus beginning on September 24th. And I think all the performances are good. I'm really intrigued to see where they go with it. Like I said, there are a couple of story points and decisions that they do that are just kind of like, just not that intert- inter- interesting to me. Um, but overall, the vision, and it, it does a good job. And, I, and it bounces back and forth between history in an interesting way. And and I like what they've got going on. So. I do recommend it, and I think it's worth seeing for you big sci-fi fans out there. Big episode! We even tried to go faster than normal, and we still five things, man. What, What can you do when you like talking about stuff? But that is it for us this week on FF Plus. As always, we hope that you have found something that piques your interest, and we would always love to hear from you about what you think about the things that you see that you heard us discuss here on the show. You can hit us up on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or at black nerd magic You can also join the feeling film Facebook discussion group. There's always a link to that in the show notes as well as both of our Twitter accounts. And you can come talk to us there. We will be back soon until then. Keep feeling film. Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you.